thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your life. Welcome to Wellness Women Radio for the women with big dreams who dare to be different and who want to thrive in health, work and play. Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston bring you a weekly podcast to help you master true health and create an exceptional life. This episode of Wellness Women Radio is very proudly brought to you by Dinner Twist. Dr. Ashley and I want to let you in on a little secret of how we maintain our healthy whole foods lifestyle with very little time. And one of those ways is actually with Dinner Twist. So they plan, they shop, they deliver everything to our door to take all of the guesswork out of having really healthy meals for dinner each night. Um, I love Dinner Twist because they are a locally family-owned business here in Perth in Western Australia, and all of their produce is locally sourced and seasonal. So they are really invested in all of their suppliers as well, which is absolutely amazing. Everything is so fresh. Uh, Ashley and I both get the Wholesome Box, which is naturally gluten and dairy-free as well, and is very consistent with a paleo-type lifestyle as well. Uh, so it's, you know, completely consistent with, you know, the way that we want to eat and want to feed our loved ones too. This is also how I trick Dean into thinking that I can actually cook. So seriously, if I can do it, everybody can trust me. And their recipes are so delicious. They also have other options apart from the wholesome box. So they have a family box for bigger size families an express box. If you're really short on time, uh, as well as a vegan box too. Now, we would love to give you the opportunity for you to actually try Dinner Twist and realize how healthy, how delicious and how fresh it is, but also how much easier this is going to make life as well. So we have a special promo code for you, and that is going to give you $35 off your first box. And that is WWR for Wellness Women Radio. Um, So we would love you to uh, try for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but let me know what you think. Without further ado, ladies, onto the show. Hey there, lovely listeners. Welcome to Wellness and Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And we're bringing you a very special guest today. But before we do, we're just going to catch up because Andrea and I haven't uh, seen each other for a while. This lady's been gallivanting around Japan, catching uh, (laughs) some snow and learning how to snowboard. Tell me, how was your trip? Oh, thanks, Ash. Um, it was amazing. Uh, this is so funny that sometimes the only time we actually have to catch up is when I see you like virtually over <laughs> over our recordings. Um, but it's so nice that we have with that we have these moments as well. Um, so we recorded a few episodes in advance um, so that I could have a little bit of a holiday in Japan. So we were over there. Um, I learned to snowboard, which was amazing. I was pretty um, uncoordinated. <laughs> Um, and you know, like I can surf, I can like water ski and everything. So I thought, nah, I'll get this down in a day. Um, definitely not. I feel like I just got the hang of it right at the very end of the trip. Um, but it was so much fun. I, uh, I'm getting Dean to put together a bit of a bloopers reel of, um, all my hilarious falls because some of them were, were pretty good. Um, that's why I'm kind of nursing an ice pack on my elbow at the moment. (laughs) Oh gosh. Chiropractor's nightmare is, uh, learning to do things like that is, uh, don't hurt your arms and here you are with a, a, a sore elbow. I'm sorry to see that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm fine. I'll be fine. You will. Um, 
But the but Japan was so beautiful. The people there are just incredible. Like everyone is just so gracious um, and so so friendly, and they're all so incredibly um, organized. Uh, but no one is ever in a rush, and everyone's always on time, and everyone's always so prompt and punctual. But they they always just take things like seemingly slowly, which mm. was a bit of a paradox, but uh, definitely a bit of a thing that I observed while I was there that I wanted to try and bring back can kind of incorporate um, a little bit more here that they're so connected and so efficient but they never seem like really busy if that makes sense um which was i think quite a, a work of art really um i did struggle with food a little bit though which surprised me um everything is noodles and deep fried maybe it was just in the regions that we were in and maybe just because it was a little bit more touristy but uh not eating gluten over there was a challenge yeah, I can imagine. It's interesting, isn't it, when you travel, the uh, massive switch you have to make in some of your dietary choices. And sometimes you just have to be accepting that there may not always be alternatives, which can be yeah. really challenging. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, you're we just were... going to live on miso. <laughs> yeah, which, you know, wouldn't be such a bad thing because their no. miso is so delicious. You yeah. know, we were having it for breakfast. Uh, it was funny, we went to a, um, I think they're called like an izikaya or something like that. I'm sure I've done a terrible job of uh, pronouncing that, which is the equivalent of like a Japanese pub. Mm-hmm. And they only had ramen, uh, which is obviously, you know, like gluten-based noodles, or they had soba noodles. And soba noodles are made on buckwheat traditionally, but they mix them with wheat flour as well. And they were the only two options on the menu, all sorts of different versions of that, or there was raw horse meat. Now, oh. <laughs> I I have no problem with people eating whatever they want. Um, I could not do raw horse meat only because I've grown up with horses. So I could not eat that. Um, so, you know, I just went for the soba noodles and just kind of avoided them as much as I could because um, that was sort of the lesser of the evils and there was literally no other option. And I could not have fasted through the night it just no. would not have worked um, because oh. I'd been snowboarding all day um, so I was absolutely starving but I would I love to oh I'd love to have seen you try and order the ramen and be like and can you just hold the noodles no no noodles. yeah I know. just the ramen no noodles and they'd have been like flipping out <laughs> I, I'm not gonna lie I may have tried to do that at the hotel um and I did ask them if they could do rice noodles of course they couldn't um oh. so but you know which was fine I ate a lot of salmon which was incredible um so i you know i did all right it's not like i've come back a skeleton or anything <laughs> oh very good well, i'm glad uh, glad you had a great trip glad you're back home you're not quite in one piece but you will be one piece very soon um, when that elbow heals up and uh, we're just laughing my husband's currently in the living room and uh, he's got his headphones on he's watching married at first sight and he's polishing the roof rack bars you know just what husbands do on a thursday night <laughs> such a cutie love it told me that i've just got this beautiful image of pete there with his headphones on watching so intently i cannot believe he's watching it married watching married at first sight ash that is i think probably at this stage in the show they've done all their marriages now it's just like a a massive you know i guess psychology episode really just looking at this incredible stuff unfolding going really wow okay (laughs) i can't have ever watched it but i can understand 
why that would be just fascinating, such yeah. an interesting human experiment. Exactly. <laughs> it's spot on experiment. It is indeed, I'm sure. So anyway, we've got uh, a lovely, lovely person to to have a chat to today. Obviously, you're away when we recorded this, so it's just uh, okay. myself Ash, and Jenna. Tell me, tell me about her. Who are yes. we interviewing today? So this is a gorgeous woman who's actually uh, over here in WA with us, and uh, she's established the Building Biology WA company. And this is uh, super interesting because Deanna Hislop is set up building biologist. She's a practitioner member of the Australian or actually Australasian Society of Building Biologists and she's also a GAPS certified health practitioner. Mm -hmm. So this woman is really kind of a dynamic lady because I met her through um, my practice up north and it was amazing because she's an author of a gorgeous book for children about FIFO families. It's called My FIFO Family. It's so beautiful. Just helping. Um, FIFO, for those of you who don't know the lingo, means fly in, fly out family. I only learned that when I moved to WA. So yeah, true, true, me too. Um, yeah. So really lovely from that that basis of just really caring, generous soul, really wanting to see you know families thrive. And one of her, her ways of doing this is through building biology. So for nearly 20 years, she's got the experience of uh, the field of environmental health, and she's really passionate about helping people to unburden their bodies by reducing the exposure to environmental factors. And these are things like chemicals and biotoxins, molds, electromagnetic fields, radiation, Mm -hmm. and she's helping uh, all of her clients to create healthier homes and work environments, which is uh, allowing bodies to thrive, you know, to express in full state of health and well-being. So She's, I guess, someone who really is like us, looking for the health solution, you know, just yeah. really yeah. diving deep. Awesome. It's not about what's on the surface. It's all about what can you find below the surface that can help to explain the problems people are experiencing and what can you do about that to help change that. So she's really cool. Um, and I think, you know, we're really going to love this this first introduction to building biology because I know a lot of people don't know a whole lot about building biology or they haven't heard about it. But in terms of our world where we're talking about, you know, neuro health and and body health, the environment we live in has a massive impact on that. So they have something called Mm -hmm. sick building syndrome, which we'll talk about in the episode. So interesting, so amazing. So I think you're going to love this episode. It's really, uh, really rocks. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to tune in. Um, So Ash, thank you. Take it away. Deanna, thank you so much for joining us today. It's such a pleasure to have you on here. It's um, amazing to hear all the incredible things you have done on your journey so far in terms of the, the world of building biology, but also what you're going to do. I can't, you know, can't wait to hear more about that. What I'd love to know first and foremost, tell us a little bit about your journey and your story. How did you get into this world of building biology? Oh, wow. Um, so I guess sort of in hindsight, my first kind of experience with an environmental exposure was in my late teens, um, which I didn't actually connect up until I was older, until I was sort of well into my 20s. But I spent my 20s living in London and running organic stores over there. And one thing that I would hear over and over again is people saying, you know, I've I've moved into this basement apartment and ever since I've been in there, I've been sick. What supplements should I have? Or, you know, and these are people that have incredible diets, incredible lifestyles, um, you know, not a huge amount of stress. Or, you know, I've moved in with my boyfriend and ever since I've been living with him, I get headaches and stomach pain. And I started to really sort of see that when you take away, you know, when, when the nutrition's good, the exercise is good, the stress is covered, what else is going on or impacting these people for them to start becoming unhealthy? And I really started noticing this pattern of where you live and how that affects your health. And so 
I actually um, started studying after listening to a podcast that Lawrence Tam did with Nicole Bowser, and yeah. I had already studied some geobiology um, and a few other areas of environmental health and science prior. And then I was—it just clicked for me, and I was like, "Yes, that is exactly what I want to be in my life, and exactly what I want to do." Um, and then through my studies, I sort of realised that the chronic fatigue that I'd experienced in my late teens was actually in relation to a house that I was in um, with someone else and it had serious flooding that had gone on through there. Um, and it was like a biotoxin exposure that I became much better with after I'd actually moved out of that place. So it wasn't until afterwards that I connected the dots in my own health journey. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been a bit of a journey to learning it all and, and now practicing. Well, it sounds like you've certainly uh, got inspiration from one of uh, Australia's leading building biologists. I know that uh, Nicole certainly has been at a forefront in this movement in Australia for more than 25 years, I think, uh, having read her books so many years ago. It's wonderful to have, you know, people like yourself, we don't say, you know, building on the shoulders of giants because there's only so much any one person can know and just there's so much more to know. Tell us what building biology is because I know that when I was living over in Europe, it's, when I say, pretty well known. Um, I was living in the Netherlands and bowel biology is of German uh, origin. So it was kind of like, yeah, like whatever, like as if you wouldn't know that, um, which was quite funny to me because I was like, what? Down under, we never heard of that stuff. Um, so tell me what it's all about. And then they, you know, someone talked me through the 25 tenets of um, building biology as per, you know, was being instructed. And I still, you know, think that a lot of people don't know what building biology is and, and what you're looking for and what you do. Give us a rundown, you know, like building biology 101 what is building biology and why is it relevant for people today okay so i get asked this almost every time i get asked what i do for a living <laughs> i say my building biologist everyone goes oh and then i explain what it is so building biologist is the science that studies the relationship between a built environment and the health of its occupants so it, to sort of give a bit more understanding to that we're looking at everything in the built environment that's going to affect your health so from mold and biotoxins to allergens heavy metal heavy metals chemicals toxicants what's in your drinking water gases to radiation and um, things like magnetic fields and even down to geopathic stress so it is a very very broad field um, and it kind of needs to be because you need someone to be able to come in and assess on multiple levels what's going on environmentally that could be impacting the health because when we look at just one little area or one snippet of what's going on in your built environment we're missing so much and so to be trained sort of across the board across the board of that um, is really important so that we can actually really assess someone when we get their health concerns come through we can start to identify okay it might be this it might be that isolate different things and test everything um, and then come up with a plan to try and reduce that person's exposure and that's the big challenge isn't it because a lot of people uh, they think well if i can't see mold on the ceiling and there's uh you know there's not an electrical box uh, outside my bed then i'm fine but they're still experiencing you know often very chronic and crippling health conditions particularly inflammatory conditions we tend to find things like autoimmune and absolutely allergies symptoms signs particularly in young children as well there's so many things that um can be 
well, I say chasing your tail. You know, so many health practitioners, including myself in the past, I'm far more aware of it now. So I find it much easier to pick up the signals. But in the past, I know that these things would have just looked like a myriad of hodgepodge, you know, sort of immune issues. And you're starting to dump supplementation. You're starting to get them tested here and do a blood test and do with this and do with that. But no one has said, go to their house and find out where on earth yeah. they're living. Like, yeah. what are they living on? You know, what are they living in? What do they wear? What do they cook with? What do they breathe? You know, it's, it's yeah. such an incredible incredibly important aspect because as human beings we are a direct connection to our environment we we cannot remove ourselves from other nature we can't build houses around ourselves and think that's going to make us you know healthy because i would love you to explain to our listeners what is something that you know we hear a little bit in the media and occasionally you'll see it come up in the newspaper but it's called sick building syndrome can you explain that a little bit for us so sick building syndrome is when the built environment is directly affecting your health so, or that the built environment has factors that are associated with poor health. So, for example, a water damaged building would fall into sick building syndrome, um, especially if it's got quite a high mould diversity in there. Um, you know, any kind of toxic environment basically is going to fall within that category. It's a bit of sort of, you know, sick building syndrome to me is a little bit like how we use chronic fatigue. So, mm-hmm. it often carries covers sort of many different aspects um but you know sick building syndrome is where the home is making you feel sick or the workplace and about like i guess do you do you have recollection of the origins of building biology i know it's something i I learned years ago i went ah that's interesting do you uh do you know much about yeah so obviously it you know like you were saying before it comes from germany um and it's built on it's built on a set of principles um that have kind of that have really evolved as well because, you know, it's nothing new. Um, It seems very new these days and there aren't a lot of practitioners across the board and you still have a lot of clinicians and and, um, practitioners that aren't aware that it exists. Most people don't know that it exists, but it's moved on, I think, from some of its sort of starting um, principles because our environmental factors and our environmental exposures have changed so dramatically i mean today you know things like geopathic stress and um you know traditionally we would we would stick a flock of sheep on a hill and if the sheep wanted to stay there then we would build the house there if they didn't we wouldn't now we're sort of going okay where are the cell phone towers um you know where are the substations those sorts of things so you know it's evolved from where it began um, but it's still very much based on the fact that, you know, that you need an environment that allows the body to thrive. Yeah. Oh, and absolutely. And I think it was fascinating to realise that, you know, it's it's been something that's come from observation, like most great things. It's about observation over time. And I think uh, back in the 40s, post-war Germany, uh, requirement for large amounts of housing in short periods of time, uh, the structures and the ways in which they built those houses were very rapid, you know, poor quality materials, whatever they could get their hands on. Um, they're obviously in a massive financial uh, strain, so they were really just trying to put roofs over heads. But what they noticed was these massive clusters 
and issues in regards to health and well-being. And even today, we're looking at these situations where you can get suburbs or, you know, entire regions where they get these clusters of health complaints. And I think building biology is going a long way to helping to understand and answer this um, because we're in a modern world, right? We've got, we've got, like you said, all of these, you know, unseen forces. Um, and I think that's the biggest challenge because most of us can see the things that we might be concerned by, but the things we can't see and the one that I certainly know raises big flags and, and concerns for myself and my family, um, even though we do have it in the house, is things like Wi-Fi, EMF and EMR. Can you uh, give us a rundown on what we should be concerned about, why we should be, um, you know, it's not hocus pocus, it's not snake oil anymore. It's, you know, it's really legitimately a big issue. And currently the media is flooded with information about these new 5G networks um, and 5G towers going up and sick clusters, you know, the buildings they've put it on over a fire station and all these firemen have got these chronic crippling pain and headaches and migraines. I mean, that's not just, you know, in your head, is it? That's actually something causing a problem. No, and probably, you know, the biggest the biggest thing that I see is that when someone reduces their exposure, we see such an improvement in health. So to me, you know, we, we have a huge amount of studies. There's thousands, you know, I think there's over 4,000 studies on uh, high frequency, radio frequencies and health alone. Uh, the Bioinitiative Report, which has got 1,800 studies, which is a fantastic study, um, it's showing that, you know, the, the types of exposures that we should be looking at from radio frequencies, you know, sort of 10 microwatts and less, I walk into someone's house um, and they might have 4,000 microwatts and that's where they're sleeping. And the body is not designed to that. So often what I'll get is these phone calls as a building biologist and someone say, I think I've got mold illness or I don't know what it is but I feel sick when I'm at home and I feel better when I go camping um, and when I look at what health symptoms they're experiencing it, it's always very similar when it comes to radio frequencies and that's you know the fatigue pressure headaches or headaches muscle aches and pains sleep disturbances it is it is absolutely beyond me how many people do not get good sleep um, that feeling of wired and tired all the time, teeth grinding, muscle twitching, um, failure to um, respond to any medications or any kind of health program. So a lot of practitioners now are you know, sort of saying that you need to reduce your EMF exposure before you look at treating other areas of the body. So it's a huge thing. And you know, very, very rarely would I go into a home that is low EMF today. And that's kind of what we're bringing into the homes and everyone's panicking about 5G and, um, you know, all these sorts of things that, that increase the background radiation, but they're turning a blind eye to all the things that they're bringing into their home that are giving them a higher exposure than what they would be getting from 5G. So, um you know, it's, it's, it's an area that needs a huge amount of education um, and a huge amount of sort of behavioural changes in people so that they start understanding that, you know, if you're using something that is uh, communicating wirelessly, there is a level of radiation that's being created that is blanketing that space that is going to put stress on the body and, you know, keep the body in that sympathetic nervous system and not allow the body to do the functions it's designed to do. 
And when we talk about sympathetic nervous system there, Deanna, you're basically talking about our flight or flight responses, aren't we? This is our, our yeah. fight, flight, freeze. And this is the system we talk about a lot, you know, in, in healthcare. And obviously, you know, as Andrea and I are chiropractors, so we talk a lot about the nervous system function and how we can get ourselves out of that uh, wired up autonomic state. Um, and this is such an interesting area because I know, Deanna, there's a lot of challenges with this. Um, having I guess gone through a little bit of it myself in a previous property that uh, I lived in where it wasn't just the fact that I had switched off my Wi-Fi. I was living in a, a multi-level building with multiple, you know, people around me and um, it was pretty clear that it wasn't my my Wi-Fi causing issues and creating EMF. I had people, you know, on, on all walls obviously having wireless in their own homes and uh, – it was pretty hard to counter the challenges that came because I certainly experienced, um, for me personally, was headaches, but I had never been a headache sufferer. I never had previously had any issues with any form of headache. Um, and this was really obvious that I'd be there for, you know, within a week, I'd start getting these headaches almost daily. And then I'd go away for a long weekend somewhere and then none. So um, I knew there was something to do with my environment. But, you know, obviously, I, I couldn't pinpoint that. And I wasn't in a position to, you know, uh, bring in someone with the skills like yourself to identify it. But it was a bit of a, an easy assumption that something uh, greater than my immediate environment was affecting me. So I needed to figure it out. So I think, you know, talking about this, idea of EMF is such an incredibly important one um, because we are starting to see that people are sort of downplaying how serious it is you know there a lot of uh, <laughs> there's a lot of reasons for that a lot of I guess multi-levels of uh, business government and the rest would like us to not have that conversation but it is important um, it is affecting people uh, everywhere and I think you know the fact that we should look towards places in Europe like France who have absolutely banned you know wi-fi from school environments and from all kindies and any place in which children are congregated it's a incredible last step forward and I guess a clear indication that they they've got grave concerns about it yeah and you know if you look at the last five years alone our radiation and uh, you know I always get very people get very defensive when you talk radiation or radio frequencies because they don't want to give up their technology and you know Building biology is not about making you give up your technology. It's about using it in a way that doesn't um, compromise your health. But if you look just in the last five years alone at the increase in radiation that we're exposed to, we're looking at a quintillion times more radiation just in the last five years. So that's 10 to the power of 18. That's a huge... What was that word? Increase. That is like 10 with, you know, 18 zeros after it. And... So what people aren't getting their head around is that, you know, if you think when I was, when mobile phones were first coming out, the exposure that we had was so, so small. And then we've got, you know, our infants and our children that are coming out today, it's just not even comparable. The amount of exposure and the level of exposure to radiation that they have is just, we've never done anything like this before. We have no studies to say, you know, well, this has been here for 15 or 20 years and these are the responses because we've never, ever been exposed to this level of radiation before. And I think that's the key thing, though, isn't it, that, uh, you know, historically speaking, humans have not been exposed to the amounts of environmental stressors than yeah. what we're experiencing today. And, you, you know, we talk radiation and people immediately start thinking Chernobyl and uh, Fukushima yeah. and stuff, but we're not talking about nuclear radiation here. We're just talking about everyday 
commonplace um, functions of life that we just assume are safe and okay because, gosh, everyone does it and everyone has it. But just because it's, you know, common and relatively, you know, considered normal doesn't mean it's necessarily safe for us. And I think that's the big misconception that um, definitely people have, uh, generally speaking. Would you find that most people are, when I say confused, if you find that in their home, they're like, what? Yeah, so I do, um, I run courses on this so that people can actually create their own, their own low EMF home. And there is, you know, we break it down because there's, A, there's four parameters of electropollution that we cover. So we've got dirty electricity, magnetic fields, electric fields, and then high frequency radio frequencies. Um, but, you know, it is a lot for people to get their head around, but it's the things that people never suspect that tend to be the big players in a home, like, um, you know, Sonos speakers, which everyone seems to be onto these days, sound bars are massive. The highest readings I've ever had in a home have been from a baby monitor. Mm. Uh, you know, it's these things that we don't realise. Some of the Fitbits emit huge amounts of radiation um, and we're talking sort of like, you know, 4,000 microwatts when we really want to try and have a level of 10 and under. So, you know, they're massive exposures and people just don't understand that it's coming from these things. They're Google Home, they're um, smart TV. And so, you know, we sort of live in this kind of um, false sense of security that we've bought these things, they're going to be safe, we bring them in, we can't see what they're emitting so we don't know. But then everyone's jumping up and down screaming about smart meters um, and the effects of a smart meter when they've bought something that's, you know, possibly emitting 10 or 15 times higher into their bedroom. So, you know, it's definitely that area that requires education and people are always surprised. Um, but once we set a house up so that it is low EMF, the difference is huge. The body feels relaxed, the sleep is improved, the stress response reduces, you know, they really start to thrive and then you really notice when you put yourself in an area that has high levels of radio frequencies or electropollution, you notice how the body starts to respond and you become very aware of how it affects the body. Whereas, you know, when you're in the thick of it, you just don't you just don't know. Oh, I love that, increasing that intuition, that, you know, internal dialogue, understanding and listening to your own body is something we talk about so often. And uh, it's very hard to do that when you're absolutely flooded with uh, regular daily MF that you don't actually know what it feels like to be different from that. So that's a very powerful thing that you are actually helping people set up these low EMF homes. That's incredible. What a, a great gift for those families that have already used your services. I'm sure they're very grateful. They gave you a call and uh, set up an opportunity for you to go through their homes. The obviously that's one area of, you know, building biology. Tell us about some of the other things, because I know for me personally, I always go the air we breathe and the the water that comes out of our taps. I'm a big, you know, believer in having filtration. Tell us a little bit about, you know, anything that you find generally in homes regarding, say, air and water. Um, so uh, one part of what we do is air sampling for volatile organic compounds. So we're looking at things that become a gas at room level, at uh, room temperature, that are in the air. And it's something that I did a bit of a, a paper on a while back because I was looking at the way that we could increase the likelihood of teenagers as a subset to change their chemical exposure in the products they were using. And what I found was that when you gave them information on individual chemicals and things like that, it was kind of 
fell a little bit on deaf ears. Whereas when we sample the air and show the results to, um, you know, especially teenagers or, you know, anyone that you're looking at, okay, this is how much is in your air from your nail polishes. This is how much is in your air from your body products and your shampoo. This is what's coming off your reed diffuser. This is what's coming out of your shampoo. This is what's coming out of all those cleaning products that you have saved for a rainy day or just stockpiled underneath your kitchen sink that still smell the same as, you know, you smell them when you walk down the shopping aisle. Not that any of them are open, but they just off gas. And when people start to see that all these products are putting this big chemical soup into the air that they're breathing, and we spend, you know, 90% of our time indoors, then people start to really making the connection between the air that you breathe and the chemicals and the products that you actually bring into the space that you live in. And I think that's a very, very powerful kind of um, message to people because we just switch off. We buy things, we make zero connection between what we're putting on our skin, what we're breathing in, or, you know, what is actually being absorbed into the bloodstream even more so. Um, you know, and so it's really important for people to understand that, you know, your home is a very, very, um, it needs to be a healthy environment that you're staying in. And we become desensitised to these smells in the house, which is why you walk into a house and someone will have 15 reed diffusers, scented candles, all sorts going. And if you don't have synthetic fragrances in your life it just about wipes you out um <laughs> the same as if you're chemically sensitive you're gone for a day yeah um, but we do it's the same thing we just become so desensitized to these chemicals in the home that we just don't notice them um yet we notice that we feel better when we're away from the home and then we've got you know water for me you know fluoride has no place in our water there's some very interesting studies that came out of Mexico that were replicated in Canada recently um, in relation to um, excretory levels of fluoride and reduction of IQ in um, their offspring. And it was originally done that was looking at natural fluoride levels and the study was actually replicated looking at uh, water fluoridation as their source, which is the same water fluoridation model that Australia uses. So for me, you know, fluoride should not be in the water at all. Um, fluoride is very, very hard to filter. It really needs a reverse osmosis system. So that's something, you know, obviously that we assess when we go in there and reverse osmosis taking everything out is very beneficial to put a remineralizer in there. If people are in an area without fluoride, then carbon filters, I think are a better option. Um, and again, you know, both are taking out like your coppers and your um, chlorine and, and all the things that are in there that you really don't want, but you still want your chlorine, for example, to offer a bit of protection while your water's going through all those disgusting pipes and, and you know, sitting in places until it gets to the tap, but we want to remove it once it gets to our point of use. So water is a big one. Um, especially for those with skin conditions. We want to look at removing chlorine out of the shower and the bath water, mm. um, you know, making sure that, yes, the water that we drink is good, the air that we're breathing is good, um, and obviously into air falls things like mould and biotoxins, um, allergens as well, ultrafine particulates. There's a whole, you know, host of things that you find in the air in someone's house. But 
if we sort of take a step back from focusing on the chemicals and focus a little bit on how we should live in a home, we start to automatically reduce those things. So, you know, we want to have our windows open all the time. We want a good air exchange happening between the outdoor and the indoor air because there's a big difference in toxicity of the indoor air and the outdoor air. So we want to have, you know, nice, get the sea breeze going <laughs> through the house. We want to reduce the amount of particulates that are coming into the house. So we want to take our shoes off before we come into the home. You know, we walk over parks that have been sprayed with glyphosate and, you know, all the other things that we've trodden on. We want to reduce the dust levels in our home because everything hides in the dust. But then at the same time, we don't want to have a sterile home. So we want to have a clean home that's dust free but we don't want to have a sterile home. So we don't want to be using bleaches and antibacterials and fungicides and things like that in the home. We want it to be mimic nature as much as we possibly can. That's great advice. And I think for, you know, a lot of people, it can seem a little bit overwhelming um, when they start to think about all these things because it suddenly becomes quite aware. Like I was sitting there smiling thinking, oh, yeah, you know, I've got uh, a house here where my husband's being an engineer, just loves all the gadgets, you know, is totally into, you know, tech and loves things that uh, do fancy things, which I, you know, I absolutely support him on. But um, when you mentioned the Sonos, I thought, oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, that's, that's something that's his, his favourite thing. And uh, it's certainly <laughs> I like it because it's, you know, plays music and I can control levels and all over the house. It's just like, wow, cool. But uh, I must say that whilst I knew it was running uh, on a Wi-Fi sort of basis, I had not appreciated the, I guess, the degree of concern it could be causing. So I'm certainly going to reevaluate that. Um, as for, you know, things like water, obviously anyone who's on mains, uh, mains, water is going to have a challenge there they're going to have the fluoride the chlorine that all of these other heavy metals potentially coming through their water systems um which makes it very challenging and so as you said reverse osmosis is certainly the gold standard there um coupled with remineralizer because we don't want to be stripping it completely um what other things can people be doing i love that you mentioned you know taking shoes off we're a shoe free house and the amount of people that looked totally weird at us our ex neighbor <laughs> used to laugh and he, gets, he used to make, you know really derogatory statements about us leaving shoes at the door. I'm like, what are you talking about, you goose? Take your shoes off all the dirt you walked in all day. I don't want it through my house. Thank you. Um, and it was really funny. It was a bit of a running joke that you had to, you know, make sure he had the best socks on so that he didn't have holy socks when he came to our house. But it was serious. You know, I was serious about that, not passing, you know, the chemicals, toxins, dirt, crap, everything we walked on. Um, some of the other tips that you can give our listeners, because obviously, you know, we listen because we're like, okay, I want to be able to do something now today. What can you tell us, I guess, give us your top five things to do that would help us have healthier homes, you know, in probably the least expensive way possible. Because I know that some of the recommendations can require great investments, um, absolutely necessary when we've got critical and chronic uh, health ailments. But, you know, for anyone else who's just curious or interested where to start, what would you suggest they do? Okay. So number one, open your windows. Mm. As much air that you can get in and out of the home, especially, so this is going to help with things like humidity and mould growth. So the best time to do it, if you're not going to leave them open all the time, which, you know, is something that I like to do, um, then you want to open, you want to get as much sort of bang for your buck kind of thing. So you want to open them when there's a temperature difference between the inside and the outside. So when... Um, you know, like first thing in the morning when it's cold outside and it's warmer inside, open the house up and get that air exchange happening so that 
you feel a temperature change inside the house and then you can close them up. But leaving some, you know, leaving some air circulation ongoing in the house is ideal. But, you know, that's reducing the toxins in the air that you're breathing in. It's keeping the humidity better. Um, anything that's off-gas from your build materials to your furnishings is going to help with that air exchange reduce that. So that would be number one, is definitely open your windows. Um, a vacuum cleaner with a HEPA filter for me is kind of a non-negotiable in a house. So a HEPA filter will filter down to 0.3 microns. So that's going to pick up anything from, um, you know, pet dander to influenza virus. It is part of what we use when we remediate a house that's had mould. So mould loft and the spores, will, depending on the mould, will go through the house. They settle everywhere that dust settles in the home. So a good vacuum cleaner will pick that up, whereas a, a vacuum cleaner without a HEPA filter will just blow those smaller particles out the back and just spread that through the house. So, um, and, you know, there's some, I've seen some, I saw Aldi had a great one. I think it was like $70. I know Kmart did one, you know, Miele did great ones. They're about four or 500, but um, you can definitely get one that's not too expensive for the home. Uh, making sure that you use things like your extractor fans. <laughs> the amount of homes that I go into that have huge humidity issues and I can see condensation lines, you know, running down the bathroom halls and, you know, that might be the ensuite that's leading onto the, the master that's got carpet in there that's revolting. Um, use the extractor fans whenever you're creating steam. So if you're in the shower or if you're cooking, have your extractor fans on. If you're in the laundry and you've got things going on, have the doors open if you can so that you've got that changeover so you don't get a humidity buildup in the house because especially, you know, we're in Perth. Perth does not have the same mould issues that we have over east, places like central New South Wales, but we have a lot of mould issues because of occupant behaviour. So we're closing the house up, heating it, cooling it, and then we're generating a lot of steam within the house. So that's a big one as well. Um, if you were looking to reduce radio frequencies in the home, um, to start with, I would look at turning things off when they're not in use. So um, at night time, definitely your Wi-Fi should be switched off. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have a button on there to do that manually, then you can do that remotely. Your cordless phone emits the same, if not more, than your wireless router. Mm. So that's a big one because that blankets the space that you're in. If you've got a baby monitor, be very mindful, um, possibly get it tested. Or there are some on the markets that only react when there's a noise. So they kind of click into that mode. So it's a limited exposure. Um no mobile phones by the bed, put them in flight mode, that kind of thing would be, you know, one of my biggest tips. And then I guess the last one isn't so much the home but more when you're in the car and that would be to when you get in the car, especially if it's a new car, just to open the windows up and let things like the benzines and all the carcinogens that are in the car out of the window and then turn your phone onto flight mode. There, you're... So many people do business in their cars these days in that, you know, they're Bluetoothing, they're doing this, they're all sorts of things. And what they're doing is they're creating a microwave for themselves and then they wonder why after a long, you know, a long drive they've got that head pain or 
muscle aches and pains or severe fatigue or they just feel lousy afterwards and it's basically because you've kind of fried yourself during that trip whereas if you put your phone on flight mode and you know i use my phone a lot for uh you know directions and google maps and i'll put in where i'm going make sure i've got that up sometimes i'll cord that to my stereo and then I turn it on to flight mode. So Google Maps will still work with your phone on flight mode and give you directions, but it's not emitting radiation. So it's only receiving in that mode. And that's probably a really big one for people who are suffering from fatigue. Man, I love that one too, because not only is that uh, valuable for health, it's also a massive safety uh, aspect, given that yes. uh, it's our biggest temptation, I think, while driving, as most drivers are particularly tempted to either fiddle with their phone, check out for something, look at an email <laughs> when they're sitting at the traffic lights or, you know, incoming texts and things. So you've just covered two things there. I love that, you know, make car driving safer by uh, getting rid of the, the hands-free yeah. phone stuff and then also get rid of the health implications of driving with a, a phone on uh, Wi-Fi and and, uh, Bluetooth. So they're great. Fantastic tips, Dee. Thank you so much for uh, the wisdom and amazing insights you've shared with us today. I think that's a beautiful introduction to building biology. I know we can go so much further on this. Your depth of knowledge would uh, probably talk for two hours at least nonstop, but we're going to just pull it up there and uh, we'd love to have you back for another episode in the future to talk a little bit more, I think, on things like EMF and uh, and particularly mould. It certainly piques a lot of interest in people. They're very curious about it and we can talk a lot more about that. Um, how can our listeners get in touch with you what uh what do you have on offer and what sort of events and things you have coming up that they might be interested in oh we always have events coming up we've mm -hmm. got a, a new launch for um our new office in Jindla on the 5th of next month um, and that is a practitioner evening so that is for um, any practitioners to come along and actually understand the servicing and testing and lab sampling that we do and what they can offer their clients i'll see you there <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah, loads of information on that night and um, some cool giveaways as well. Um, on the 27th of March, we start our four week program on electro pollution, so that runs for an hour and a half, four weeks, um, one night a week, and that sort of covers all of the um, parameters of electro pollution and allows someone to actually go home and create that change within their own home. Um, and then if you jump on the website onto buildingbiologywa.com, you'll be able to sign up on the um, subscription there and that'll give you all of the update or all the upcoming um, classes and seminars that are on, as well as then we tend to sort of run little discounts every now and then on different services like EMF or mould or whole home audits. Um, so that's probably the best way to stay up to date and obviously jump on Facebook. There's always lots of posts on there on Building Biology WA. I love it. And you don't have to be in WA to benefit from this lovely ladies listening because Gianna uh, does so much online stuff as well. So it doesn't matter where you are in the world. If you're tuning in and you think, wow, that's really interesting. I want to learn more, know more. Please jump on there. As she said, her website is buildingbiologywa.com and also her Instagram is buildingbiologywa. So Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure and uh, I certainly look forward to, to dropping in and seeing your new business and congratulations on that opening as well. It's an amazing achievement and something that's going to serve our community here um, with something incredibly valuable and certainly underappreciated. So I look forward to seeing the expansion. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, ladies, if anyone is interested in finding out more, please go onto her website, grab into uh, social media. 
Awesome. Ash, thanks so much for recording that incredible episode about building biology for us. That is, we hope that you've loved this episode, that you've learned something amazing. And we would love to hear what your takeaways are. Uh, make sure you communicate with us on Facebook. So facebook.com forward slash The Wellness Women. We're on Instagram at The Wellness Women Official. Um, we would love you to follow us on those. It gives us a great dopamine dump when you um, interact with us on social media. Uh, remember, you can consult with us as well if need be. Um, you can get in contact with us via the website, The wellnesswomen.com.au ladies make sure you've subscribed to us on itunes or spotify whatever it is that you're using to listen to uh this podcast give us a five-star rating if you think that we deserve it that really does help us to spread this message of health and well-being to the women around the world and until next week be well we hope you enjoyed this wellness couch podcast did you know we've launched a brand new facebook group where you can chat about any episode you like with a tribe of like-minded people The group is called The Wellness Couch Tribe and it's an inspirational digital meeting place to connect with like-minded wellness lovers just like you. To locate it and to come join us, simply search for The Wellness Couch Tribe wherever you enjoy Facebook. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.